0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Beautiful sunny day here, so I'm going to make this quick because I want to get out into it. But uh, I just finished up a conversation, my first live stream, actually. So uh, if you saw me live streaming on Twitter, uh, this was the guest and his name is Beggy Malobo. Um, And I came across, uh, someone mentioned him on Twitter because he was in a documentary that was recently released on Amazon Prime video um, called Banking on Africa, the Bitcoin Revolution. So I checked it out, and he is one of the the people that were interviewed in the documentary. A young kid just finishing up university, studying economics, and uh, very much into Bitcoin, fell down the rabbit hole in 2018-19, and uh, was previously really interested in uh, Austrian economics, uh, despite the fact that that wasn't really part of the curriculum in his school, in his university. Um, but nevertheless, of course, people that are in Austrian economics are generally fairly well-primed for something like Bitcoin, he came across it and, and fell down the rabbit hole and, um, and, and was featured in this documentary. So when I, I saw him and someone on Twitter said, you know, you should connect with him, I did. And uh, we had a fantastic chat. You know, I, I'm really interested in understanding and gaining a better perspective about how Bitcoin is used and perceived in different parts of the world, because, of course, it can mean different things to different people. Uh, depending on what your needs are and what your aspirations for it are. And, um, you know, as a young kid, um, I haven't heard much stuff come out of uh, Africa regarding Bitcoin. So I thought it would be fun. And uh, he definitely did not disappoint. Really nice guy, uh, very well informed, you know, educated and uh, just seeing things. I think as a lot of us uh, are seeing things these days and um, with a greater clarity about what the problems are and um, coalescing on this uh, solution that is Bitcoin, that we think could be a real effective lever for positive change. So uh, that's why we hooked it up and uh, that's it. Hope you enjoy. See ya. How's it What's going, John? Can you hear me? I got you now, mate. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. So uh, thanks for doing this, man. I'm, I'm coming at this is live today, so I've never done a, a live stream before, but I thought it'd be fun to mess around with.
1: Yeah, same here. Yeah. I'm actually quite nervous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, wow, you you were recently in a documentary film. You got nothing to worry about.
1: No, I was extremely nervous when I did the documentary as well. So,
0: <laughs> well, man, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I guess you know on that not on that uh, topic, the best place to start might just be uh, you know a, a bit about you and your background, and then how you um, got involved in this documentary, and uh, then we'll take the conversation from there.
1: Yeah, so yeah, my name is Beggy Maslowo. I am an economics student from South Africa, currently studying at a university called uh, University of South Africa. I also work part-time. So basically my background is I'm just like an ordinary guy, ordinary student studying economics. Um, How I got involved with that documentary was when I asked one question and that question just like changed my life completely it, like flipped everything upside down in a good way <laughs> so um the question i asked was out of frustration because i saw that there was a so at the time i was into bitcoin right and i saw that there was a there was a different perspective from people that were doing bitcoin than like the mainstream economists um mainstream economists i thought that they were filled with contradictions in the analysis and the mathematical models and stuff. And I saw that like people from the Bitcoin space, they knew the consequences of fiat, the negative consequences of fiat. And so um, I essentially asked the question as to, it was to an economist called D- Davi Rut, who's an economist I respect here in South Africa. And my question was to him was, um, uh, how? What's his opinion of individuals using Bitcoin as an exit point, essentially to protect their store of value from uh, central banking and uh, fractional reserve banking? That's that's the that's my that, that was my question. I did not phrase it exactly like that in in the documentary. I think it wasn't like exactly like that, but that's what I meant essentially. Yeah. So and, yeah, yeah. Sorry, continue.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's cool. So how did like? How did the documentary come about? Like, why did they they choose you to be in it?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, when I asked that question, it actually, like, caused an explosion of eyes to be on me. Uh, A lot of people were really interested because I'm like, they were asking, like, who's this young guy talking about, like, Mises and Austrian economics, talking about Bitcoin. And Tam and Andrew approached me. uh, Tam and Andrew are the people that produced the documentary. They approached me and they said they would like me to be on the documentary. They thought I was this amazing kid, even though I thought I was just crazy <laughs> <laughs> and they stuff. And it was like, yeah, let's let's this let's get you in this documentary. We're shooting a documentary. It's on the hush hash. Don't tell anyone. And yeah, I was like, oh, cool. Let's
0: do it. That's awesome, man. And I don't know if we t- the, the the documentary is Banking on Africa, the Bitcoin Revolution, yeah. right? So yeah, exactly. I think it came out, was it this month or last on Prime on it, Amazon it's, Prime?
1: It's this month, about now, probably about a week ago.
0: I think it was last week. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I, wa- I, I watched it a couple of days ago. And you know, I consume every bit of Bitcoin content that I can get my hands on, probably like my, like most of us. Um, but yeah. I'm always it's always fascinating to see the uh, how different people from different parts of the world in different circumstances interact with Bitcoin and what it means to them, you know, because obviously it's going to mean different things to different people and its applications are so broad that it has the ability to do that. Uh, What was like, what first, what's your rabbit hole story? What first brought you to Bitcoin? How did you first hear about it? And when when did you have that moment where it like it clicked?
1: It it clicked. Yeah, I see, um it's it's a bit of a gradual story for me because it came from years of asking questions. Um I just noticed that simple things started to get a little bit more expensive and I didn't really get a qu- uh, my questions answered until I was introduced to economics in high school. Um it was my Economics teacher at the time was a crazy gold bug. Uh, he was heavily interested into gold, and there was a time where he introduced us to central banking and fractional reserve banking. That's when I asked a lot of questions, and he basically gave me more resources to um, to to read about, like um, to read about central banking, fractional reserve banking, and all that. And yeah, that's when I found the Mises. And in this time, I saw a movie called Dope. Uh, that was the first time I heard about Bitcoin. But this movie didn't really, um, didn't really cover Bitcoin in a positive light. I think in the movie it was used to buy drugs and all that, and it was made as if that's the only thing you can do with Bitcoin. So I didn't pay much attention then, even though I should have, honestly. <laughs> yeah, until joy, legit, like the rest of us. <laughs> Yeah, and so like uh, years, years later, um, I, heard a, I heard about it again. I think this time from Peter Schiff. He didn't like Bitcoin, he still doesn't. And so it made me actually want to do a little bit more reading, right? And so I joined this Telegram group, uh, this te- South African Bitcoin Telegram group, and they suggested to me that I should read um, Seferdina Moose, the Bitcoin Standard. And then that's when everything clicked for me because in the first few chapters of the book, he actually does not talk about Bitcoin. It talks about the history of money uh, and those concepts I was familiar with with my reading of Mises. And so when he started incorporating that into like Bitcoin, that's when I was like, oh man, I need to get into this
0: now. <laughs> yeah, like can't waste another moment. I gotta get yeah, deep into this kidding. shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when like everything just fell into place. Um, yeah, man, that book did a lot for me,
0: honestly. Um, yeah, it's so crazy how and like obviously Safe has gotten a lot of praise for his book and he's become yeah, yeah. You know, a, a very well-known person in the space and rightly so. But it's like it's just so crazy how all it takes is, like information can change an individual and can change the world so quickly. Like once, yeah, yeah. you know, for me, I was, I was into Bitcoin for a long time before I read the Bitcoin standard, but I never, and I always appreciated the hard cap, right? I knew that like not being able to grow the supply was a virtue. in my yeah. opinion. It was a good thing, uh, yes. but I, I never considered the concept of absolute scarcity. It was just not a concept that I had considered before. And when I did, like you're reading the page and you wait, you go like, hold on, hold on. Let me read that again. You read it. And you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> you know, like, oh. It's a way bigger deal than I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, and so, what year what, what timeline was this on? When did that happen for you? I think I
1: read the Bitcoin standard in 2019.
0: I think it was oh, so 2019. relatively no, wait. recently.
1: Yeah, relatively recently. I'm very new to like Bitcoin. Uh, I wish I was an OG. <laughs> but I like, guess You will yeah. I <laughs> will be. I think this was uh when was this twenty eighteen? No, it was twenty nineteen. I think that's when I read um the Bitcoin standard. But I bought my first Satoshis uh I think it was December twenty eighteen. Good time. And then later and then later on I read the Bitcoin standard and then that's when I was like, Okay, um I need to buy Bitcoin, I need to save in Bitcoin as much as I
0: can. yeah Yeah. and because it was kind of that late uh or that recent rather did you were you able to avoid the altcoin casino or did you have any inclination to go down that road
1: yeah i think i was lucky enough to avoid the altcoins um mainly because of like the people that i I was like my friends um they didn't like altcoins, and so we i think would I think there was a trend we used to do. I think it was like every weekend or something. We'd always find some reason to bash our coins. We didn't view them as as sound as like Bitcoin. And so I just completely avoided all all of the altcoins. Um, Even when, um, who's this guy? Roger Ver. When he stopped talking about Bitcoin, started talking about Bitcoin cash, we saw like, yo, this guy used to be called like Bitcoin Jesus. Like, what is he doing now? And uh, yeah, so I've completely avoided all
0: altcoins. I just do Bitcoin. Nice. Yeah, he went from Bitcoin Jesus to Bitcoin Judas. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So, like, you got a bunch of friends, like in your social circle, that are into Bitcoin as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's sick, of, man.
1: Yeah, that's very, um, very lucky, man. Um, a lot of my friends are into Bitcoin. Even okay, so there are some that are not heavily into Bitcoin. They are extremely uh, skeptical of Bitcoin and are rather interested in gold. So yeah. it's either they're into Bitcoin or they're into gold. One well, of I mean, to be honest, or
0: both. even yeah. that is interesting because like in my social group, like in my hometown, yeah. uh, and I've been living away for a long time, but I'm here now. And when I, when I come back, like people don't even have a consideration of the quality of their money. None. Yeah it's yeah. it's just canadian dollars and that's it so it's yeah. even to be in a group like I, I think you and i would probably both agree that bitcoin is far superior to gold in many different ways and ultimately as money but just yeah. to have people in your friend group that are like thinking about money in that kind of a way to appreciate the qualities of even gold is pretty unique
1: yeah yeah um it's it's kind of crazy actually how i came across like uh, these group of friends um I think it, it's mainly people that share similar interests as me because it all starts with asking questions, yeah. asking um, dangerous questions like why does the government need to be in control of money? Right? The textbook was not properly explaining that, um, and so we started to dig for ourselves as to like why why do they like have to like control money? And they don't. They don't need to, and so. This is something that I see with my friends, but like an average South African, I think they are aware of Bitcoin, but uh, it's not immediate to them that they should buy Bitcoin. I think perhaps in a few years time, it'll become more obvious for them that, okay, I need to find a proper store of value than saving in the RAND. Mm -hmm. Because every month on average, the RAND loses about 4%. That's like the last inflation we had like four so it's like Every inflation loss yeah like when they report the CPI inflation they it states' it's around four point one percent or around three percent somewhere along those ranges so but if you average if you averaged it out on a yearly basis then it's like what four percent three percent there oh I see yeah,
0: yeah and that's you know in most cases the CPI has some fishy business in in how it's calculated yeah. right yeah yeah yeah, exactly. Um, So after you read the book, you scooped up some of your your first Bitcoin. You've got this, you know, group where you can talk about these ideas with or with who these people you can talk about these ideas with. Um, What has the last, you know, 12 to 16 months looked like for you? Like, you know, obviously recently the documentary, but in between the documentary and reading the Bitcoin standard, I guess, what has that time looked like for you?
1: Um. That time was mainly quiet. It was just me reading on my personal reading. Um, I always like to read a lot of stuff from Mary Rothbard and the guys from Mises as well, I like watching their YouTube content because they always um, have a yearly Mises year where they uh, educate Austrian economics. So I watch that. and I read a lot of stuff about Bitcoin, try to learn coding as well. Um, So it's been really quiet until, like, recently, until, like, the documentary came out. That's when, like, um, stuff started to get crazy for me. A lot of people starting to reach out from around the world um, saying, like, yo, man, like, um, I really liked your segment in the documentary. I was like, man, I'm just, like, an ordinary guy. (laughs) And, like, it's actually really amazing that someone, like, connected with, like, my story. That was cool. Yeah, That's something I appreciate. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's awesome, and I think it part of that is just we're all we all believe so strongly in what this thing represents and the the implications of it and the solutions that it it represents, and when we see people anywhere in the world, like it doesn't matter if it's in Africa or Asia or North America, or South America, and we see them like understanding it, understanding the value, and wanting to use it and integrate it and have it spread more. Like it, I think we're as a global I know some people in the space hate the word community and I don't mean yeah. it in the sense that everyone has to act in the same way, but that yeah, exactly. that everyone is having this similar light bulb moment. We just want to connect with each other. We want to be like, oh you saw it too? Awesome. Like <laughs> let's like let's chat. Yeah. Let's connect. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's uh that's definitely something that I've seen uh right now after like the documentary. Um yeah, sure of the yeah some of them we don't we act differently but there's yeah. like that one Moment where we kind of connected.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is bringing together a lot of people, whatever the hell you want to call that. Whatever, if you don't like the word community, fine. But like, the the understanding and appreciation of Bitcoin is bringing together people from all over the world on over the same this same thing, and it's it's awesome. You know, it's and I've met so many great people as a result of it. It, it. It's it's phenomenal. Like I can have a chat with you right now about this, and we're gonna like. We're gonna have we're gonna have a mutual understanding that probably yeah. far exceeds even my conversations with most of my friends I've known for twenty years. Yeah, you know? <laughs> cool. you're lucky, man. You got yeah. a group of like Bitcoiners and hard money folk around you. It's, yeah, they're, they're not that common around where I am. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: because like um, most of them are like heavily inspired by Mary Rothbard or some of them by Ron Paul. So yeah, they're quite familiar with like sound money. So, and it's only been recent that I've started to make these group of friends um, because before that, I was, it it wasn't, that wasn't the case. Most of my friends came from like from universities. I mean, I'm still, I still am friends with them as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. These new ones are like heavily inspired by like Austrian economics, uh, Han, um, Mary Rothbard, Ron, Ron
0: Paul, the likes of, yeah. I never thought, you know, I've always been a curious person, so I like the good, like, I never liked small talk. I've always liked the deeper subjects, but yeah. I still have to say, like, I, never, I I, don't think I ever imagined that my idea of, like, a good Friday night would be, like, getting together with three or four, like, hard money, you know, Bitcoiner <laughs> type people and just talking about, like... You know the history of money or the implications of sound money in our current world and all the different ways it could fix this and fix that like you know and that's my idea of a good time now i don't i don't want to go to the pub and just drink beers and talk about like politics like local politics or whatever the hell is going on i want to talk about this big 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 thing that's happening right now
1: yeah yeah um yeah, we do drink as well. Like we yeah, sure. talk about Bitcoin while we drink. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Unfortunately, we couldn't lubricating be do- we with couldn't... a few a few beers. Is is great. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's when the conversation. That's when like the proper conversation comes out, and we start bashing uh, <laughs> governments, <laughs> central bankers, all of that. That's when it all comes out. When we have a good uh, can of beer.
0: Yeah, man. Every every good revolutionary discussion needs a few beers, right? Otherwise, you're <laughs> yeah. just not amped up enough. You're too calm for revolution.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's um, true, man. What was I going to ask you? So the like a lot of people when they when they have that light bulb moment and they really get go down the rabbit hole, uh, they they tend to want to evangelize, right? Because they've they've had this kind of epiphany and they want to like tell their parents and their friends and their siblings and whatever did you have that kind of a like a a response or have you mostly kept it to only the people that are have a similar interest and saw it the same way
1: yeah like absolutely the first time i just wanted to tell every single one (laughs) every single every single person that i met uh i wanted to tell them like yo man like uh you should buy bitcoin or if you don't like bitcoin look at gold uh, because if you look at the rand, it's depreciating like every month Whenever they print money to buy government bonds, that's inflationary. It's going to depreciate. And so, I—that's I, how it first started. And then I started to notice that, like, certain individuals didn't listen to me. And that's when I was like, ah, okay, I'm perhaps wasting my time with those folks. I should rather start talking about this stuff to people that are really interested, people that see like the consequences of having fiat. So. No, I just mostly keep it to myself, or I just talk about it with my friends.
0: That's yeah. about it. And so you're you're studying economics in school, right? Yes, I am. And when yes. like like how much more of your program do you have? So I'm in my final year now.
1: Uh, so this is my final year. And you mean yeah, this is the last semester? No, like uh, this is this is the okay. So this is the first semester. Uh, so there's right. two semesters. I'm yeah. after this one I'm left with one more semester and then I'm done.
0: Right. Yeah. Cuz right, right yeah, now. So, yeah, yeah, continue, sorry. So when you're when you're done what's what's the plan? What's on your mind?
1: Uh the plan after I'm done is to probably it's continue working because I already have a job. Um so I'm going to work there more because I love my job honestly. Um what do you do? uh so i work as an analyst at the think tank i'm not sure if i'm supposed to mention them because i didn't tell them doing this interview
0: sorry <laughs> well you don't have to say anything you don't want to
1: <laughs> yeah but uh yeah so i work as an analyst for this think tank here in south africa and we basically analyze macro trends or and try to identify risks usually government risk um, central bank risk um, anything that basically w- we see as a risk to like businesses, usually small businesses, large businesses, the ordinary South African, that's what we try to identify, not only here in South Africa, but also around the world as well. So after I'm done with my degree, that's, I plan to continue my work there because I enjoy working there. And it's funny thing is like, I got I got that job by like, um, you see that question, that documentary, right? It's like what I said, that question just flipped everything. Uh, upside down because um, a lot of people started to get interested in me and they reached out and I started to talk to a few individuals um, and one of one in particular uh, Pete Leroux who is a S- CEO of Sakhalika which is a uh, NGO here in South Africa that protects small businesses he was hosting like a, I would say um, a Mises South Africa I would call it Mises South Africa where he was educating, like, his uh, clients about Austrian economics or economics in general. And, uh, yeah, so that's when I met, like, my current boss there, and we we started to have a chat, and we hit things off. So, yeah.
0: So the job is is recent? The job is very
1: recent. Uh, I started as an intern last year, October, and I got a job the beginning of this year. Sick. Very recent.
0: So how do you – like I, I'm, I think that's an awesome, especially for a Bitcoiner, it's like an, almost a dream job because you get to like constantly assess the macro landscape and comment on it and get paid for it, which sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But how do you avoid, like, are you allowed to be as presumably negative as I think you might be on central banking and macro factors yeah. or do you have to kind of like take a middle path approach to how you articulate your criticisms?
1: no i can be 100% uh i can be 100% be my perspective uh without holding anything back i think that's why i was i was i was hired there in the first place because they saw this young kid who is very um skeptical or critiques central banking and they also do not 100% um agree with some of the measures that central banks do currently such as the cutting of interest rates and the printing of money they do not necessarily agree with that so i think that's why it was easier for them to like hire me because of my opinions and such
0: where does this like for the ngo or for any ngo so i don't want to just focus on the one you work for but like any macro ngo think tank sort of entity where do you think or where do you know that the commentary ends up like wh- who, what audience or market is it for?
1: It's usually for, um, it's usually for small businesses. Uh, that's what I see here in South Africa. It's usually for small businesses or it's just like uh, normal, ordinary, like South African, South Africans. It's like, but the people that really like listen to it, it's like someone who perhaps own a, a small restaurant or right a small car dealership or something small it's usually those individuals that really deep dive and like actually look at this information and take it in i think but even so even like some of the large corporations as well they also do listen to it um but yeah yeah, so
0: and and i like i'm obviously a bitcoin extremist because i would think (laughs) like you'd have to write like yo all of this is Extremely precarious to say it lightly, and it's going to end badly. So you should probably factor that into your economic calculation. I.e., yeah. you should buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, that's what—that's <laughs> what like my analysis would be. But how yeah. do you like, you know, how, how do they integrate your perspective and your insights into their business behavior? Because you know, they take these things, but their their timeline is daily, right? They have to make a sale on a daily basis. They have costs on a daily basis, and nice you know, on a daily basis, it's easy to get lost in focusing on the day-to-day grind and miss the macro picture. And even if you see the macro picture, like for example, my family's in the restaurant business. Right. And I've been, Mm -hmm. you know, saying for a long time to my family, like there's a lot of very challenging economic things on the horizon and you know, there should, there should be, you guys should be aware of that, but it's really hard to plan at all for that kind of stuff to come because you still need to generate as many sales as you can and you still need to, you know, like it's it's not so easy as just saying, oh my God, central central uh, banking is horrible and it's gonna, you know, in debt the country and collapse the currency possibly at a point in the future. And, you know, what do I do as a restaurateur to, to prepare for that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing about it is that we cannot necessarily provide uh, financial advice. What we do is, we try to paint a picture right, right? we can we look at what's currently happening in south africa and we also look at what happened previously in south africa as well and what we do is we try to paint a picture for the, our clients so that they can be able to carry their decisions firmly knowing what's currently happening mm-hmm. we try not to advise them on what to do Uh, but we make the picture as clear as possible so that they know themselves what they can do to essentially save themselves.
0: Um, Are people, are your colleagues, uh, are you the Bitcoiner in your office or are your colleagues? Uh, uh, No,
1: I don't think so, no. (laughs) Um, It's strange, man. Like uh, recently I've been like uh, around some crazy people, uh, gold bugs, Bitcoiners, (laughs) Uh, it's crazy. It's not only me. I think there are some of my coworkers that either own Bitcoin or gold. Uh, they do not publicly state it, but in conversations, we do talk about it. Right.
0: Why don't they publicly state it?
1: Uh, why? I honestly do not know. Is
0: there a um, risk, like, in, in the current... Perhaps,
1: maybe, perhaps they just, like, uh, protecting themselves. Maybe if someone knows that they have Bitcoin or gold, they might try to invade the house or whatever. Maybe it's that aspect of it, but I'm not particularly entirely sure as to, like, why they do not entirely publicly state it. But I'm sure if they would get, like, a question publicly, then they would, like, talk about it, perhaps. Yeah. They haven't gotten that question yet.
0: Do you have those concerns, like, safety concerns, being public? Mm, Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, I was. In fact, fact, when they asked me to do that documentary, I was like, yo, man, like, how many people are going to see this? Right. (laughs) And when it dropped, I was like, "Yo, this is actually scary. <laughs> now everyone knows their own like Bitcoin. um I don't talk about it on Facebook or I do on Twitter sometimes, but like I, like around like... Facebook and other social media, I usually don't talk about it because I'm really concerned about the safety uh, safety aspect of it, but yeah, I guess it's out there now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's out there now, dude. So you might as well just like make yeah, sure your security just... <laughs> is on point and then.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly, as long as I take um, precautions. Yeah. And,
0: then... and you know, the weird thing is, is like so many people, so many like normies that I've talked to about Bitcoin, they'll they'll always be cuz a lot of people the like one of the only one of the dominant contexts that they've heard about bitcoin in is like bitcoin millionaires or billionaires right like someone who got super rich by being
1: right. an investor
0: in the first couple of years and then in 2017 they just became a sh- millionaire and that's like what's in a lot of people's minds so when i talk right. about bitcoin to people they're like oh so you're like one of these bitcoin like millionaire billionaires i'm like no no i'm not but but people just assume you have a if you have any you have a shitload right and that's not the case for most of us
1: yeah i and unfortunately a lot of them have that fallacy that if you own bitcoin you're going to become rich i don't think i don't view bitcoin as like a get rich quick scheme i view it as a i don't want to be poor scheme right protecting my store value scheme um well, I wouldn't even call it a scheme sorry about that but like that's how I view like bitcoin um yeah like if someone like knows that I have bitcoin they think that I have a lot of it and I'm like wealthy. I think that's what I've seen with some of the people that uh, saw the documentary they thought like yo this guy actually has like a lot of this thing he must be a millionaire or something but yeah. that's not
0: the case I know I know yeah. but it, I know what you're saying about like not get rich quick but like make sure you don't get poor slowly but yeah. it's just it's it's going to that will be the result in relative terms like if everybody else is right. holding a, an asset that de- that's uh, depreciating rapidly and you're right. holding one that's maintaining its value but also appreciating cuz demand for it is going up in that climate right. then relative to the money that everybody else holds it will you the value will accrue to you right so you know True. and who knows how quickly that will happen on what time scale and what the next run will be like but i think you know for anybody who's uh, publicly vocal about this stuff, whether you have, you know, 10 sats or 10 million sats or hundred million sats or whatever, you know, you got to make sure that your security you're like is on point so that, you know, if, if any cert- issues or circumstances arise, that you're as, as protected as you can be, because, you know, I've always been the, I totally respect people that want to stay anonymous with, with all of this and I get it. Right. Um, But, you know, for me, it's just, it's too much of an important thing. It's too exciting. I'm too, it's too meaningful to me to, to stay quiet. And I know this is going to happen regardless of my voice or not, but if my voice can save, you know, people that I care about or people that might want to listen to my voice or accelerate the timeline of this thing at all, I think it's worth it because the existing paradigm is extremely damaging in many different ways to many different people. And, you know, I, I would like it to happen sooner, you know. Yeah, for, for and I
1: honestly, I honestly I do, do appreciate people like yourself, John, uh, people that are like out there creating content about like Bitcoin because it makes it easier for people to actually like get an interest to in it. Like, um, and I'm sure it's actually hard to like make it interesting. I mean, for me, like I'm an economic student, so this stuff is like extremely interesting to me. But like for someone that for someone that hasn't lived in the country that has experienced like hyperinflation, they're not particularly like interested in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I applaud the work that you guys are doing, honestly, like the podcasters, the writers and all that you guys are making it easy for people to read about this technology and to essentially get on it. Yeah.
0: Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And, you know, I feel the same way. There's so many, you know, just, motivated passionate intelligent etc 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 people in this space that are putting out writing or podcasts or documentaries or videos and uh it's just a beautiful thing to see like all these people coming together yes there's self-interest involved and that's totally fine but there's also an altruistic component of it you know they right. they want to they want this to be available to more people because they know of the positive impact it can have and just being able to interact with those people is like pay off enough as far as I'm concerned for being involved in this and doing this kind of work. But it's, um, but you're right, you know, mo- most people aren't, most people won't be motivated until it's necessary, you know, until it saves their ass in some way. So exactly. in, in, in Canada, and you know, I, I think the Canadian government has been very irresponsible with debt and money printing, etc. But mm. nobody pays attention to that kind of stuff. And yeah. as long as your real estate goes up by five to 10 percent a year or whatever it is, as long as your stock portfolio goes up by whatever percent, then people don't care at all. They don't realize uh, the connection. Between the money that's used in a society and the inequality, and the you know the poverty rates, and the economic dislocation, and violence, and all sorts of things, they don't realize how it's all connected.
1: Yeah, um, if it's not immediately visible to them, then it's out of out of sight, out of mind, right?
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, which is why I think you know, as kind of crass as it sometimes sounds, like NGU technology, right? Number go up technology is. <sighs> is the best way to get people's attention because Rise. nobody thinks about the you know the intellectual nooks and crannies and, and about money but everybody wants more of it and if they think yeah. you know Bitcoin is a way to get more of it then that will draw them in. You know? Are you
1: referring to that meme, uh, Orange Men Go Up? What is that meme? Orange, orange coin
0: good number go up. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it's become it's become like another meme now to use NGU technology, you know, because yeah. some people, you know, everyone likes to talk about the latest technology. So you can work it into a conversation, be like, yo, have you heard that like NGU technology? It's like changing the world. It's like, it's, it's the most amazing thing. It's like even bigger than AI and everything. And people are like, oh shit, what? NGU technology, like, yeah, yeah, number go up. They're like, what? <laughs> but, but it's true. And look, the greed obviously has a downside. Like 2017, a lot of people got burned with greed. So, you know, I think best case scenario, greed is what catches their attention and brings them in and brings them to the table and has them engaged in the conversation. And then you hit them based on wherever they're at or where, what their interests are with a little bit more of the substance around this thing. right? Right. So like, yes, NGU technology is there and it's beautiful, baby. And you, you know, you can, you can have some of that, but also look at this stuff, look at this stuff or wherever, whatever the angle is that works for that person. That's usually my approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with you, man. Um, uh, I think when the time that Bitcoin went to like $20,000, there wasn't a single day where like, I didn't hear someone talk about Bitcoin. Right. Whenever it goes up, it gets a lot more interest, and some of them do fade away, but it gets a lot of more people in it. So, sure. when when the numbers go up, that's when we see a lot more people joining, and yeah, you know, that's great, man. Um, hopefully, I see more of that as well. A
0: hundred percent. Like the next, presumably there'll be a next run, and and when and if there is, a lot of people will come in, and a lot of people will be dragged in by greed, and then you know, presuming there's another pullback and I know there's some debate on that, but let's just assume that there there is, then, you know, 50%, 60%, 70%, 90% of the people that came in just for the pump, they might leave. They yeah. may be like, screw this shit. Like this is, yeah. I don't want to lose any more money, but 10% will become those new hodlers, right? The, they will add to right. the, the floor and they will right. get it and they will see it and they will, you know, go down the rabbit hole and they'll be like, Oh, right. and then, so that's just, slowly grows and grows and more people start getting it and you know one of the things i've always uh, been curious about like i look out on the world and i see all these massive problems and you know one of the big issues is like there's so many people that are either you know don't care enough or not educated enough to understand what's going on and how to like don't even care to turn things around like a lot of people don't even think you know that that things could be better basically and Mm. i've always wondered like how do you turn that around because that like behavior is such an ingrained thing right we get in our habits Mm. and 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 like you know of behavior and we stay there and what's amazing about bitcoin and this is a subject that i've been like really enjoyed delving into but it, it in a lot of people that i've talked to it has many different and interesting impacts on their behavior and it starts to change their behavior. Whether it lowers their time preference, whether it changes their approach to their health and their fitness, whether it changes Uh. their approach to their family and their friends and their social life. You know, like it's just so many of these changes. And so it's a behavioral revolution Maybe more more than anything. And that makes me hopeful almost more so because that solves the problem that I saw before that I didn't know what the fix was. But if this can both, you know, fix it from a structural point of view and like how money is created and transferred and stored in a society, but also has this effect on changing behavior, man, then we, you know, that's a really hopeful proposition.
1: Yeah, I think you've touched on a very important topic, man. Uh, I also like to think of Bitcoin as like, a Trojan horse of information. I've seen that a lot of people, new people that get into Bitcoin, it starts to question like everything. Um, it's yeah. like it also like it lowers their time preference, and it actually makes them evaluate every single action that they do today that impacts them in the future. I my, myself is an example of this. When I got into Bitcoin, man, everything changed. Man, like I started to <laughs> consider. <laughs> let I consider which actions of mine negatively impacted in me in the future and I canceled them out and started to focus on the positives. And that's, that's another important aspect of Bitcoin. It's not only about like uh, savings as well. It's only about, it's about like changing your time preference, lowering your time preference as well. I think that's, that's like the key takeaway for me about Bitcoin. Um, So yeah, like if I were to draw, like to draw a comparison, right, so in terms of fiat and Bitcoin, right, it's it's fiat's very nature to cause people to have like high time preference. That's why I think we may actually, like that's why I see like a lot of people actually not considering the future and such like that because they hold, they store value in an asset that depreciates every single year. Whereas people that own Bitcoin, they're mostly inclined about saving and have a lower time preference and consider the future more than the present. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent agree with that. And it's, again, it's interesting that just, cause a lot of this can be subconscious even like, right. especially on the fiat side, like a, a lot of people don't, see the relationship between fiat money mm. and how they behave. Once you come into Bitcoin and you start to notice the behavior change, you're like, Oh, interesting. The, the, the quality and the type of the money that you use actually has an impact on your behavior. And, right. uh, but I think most people like in a, one of the things you a, in a fiat world, like I think a lot of people feel this subconscious anxiety about the future. Like
1: mm-hmm. I
0: don't, I don't have any security about the future at all. Like And even if they have some assets and stuff, it's still like, I've always just got to be like making sure that I keep, you know, producing. So the future keeps like, it's like laying down bricks in front of you as you go. It's like, I just got to keep what, you know, one brick at a time. But for me, you know, Bitcoin has an effect of taking away that anxiety because I know it's going to be there. And I know my share of it is not going to be diminished. So yes, yes, there's a, let's say there's some risk that it doesn't exist at all in the future. It's a failed experiment, whatever. But first of all, I I think that's a a pretty low probability. But if, if, if that's not the case, then I've got this thing behind me. That's given me a great deal of, of comfort and diminishing my anxiety about the future. And that has a tremendous impact on my present because it allows me to be so much more focused In the present, it allows me to make decisions that serve my my longer term future in the present. It allows me to defer my my gratification into the future. Right. Instead of just being like, oh, shit, I got like I don't know anything that's going to happen in the future. I might as well bring it all into right now. And that's what like this debt fueled system that we have is. Right. It's bringing forward all this demand by all, all this debt so we can experience it right now.
1: Exactly. Um, Yeah. Like another important point, man, man, you're hitting me with these good stuff. eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like if I were to draw a comparison with like mainstream economists and like Austrians, mainstream economists, right. There's a fundamental, I'd say law that they reject always in terms of advising governments with their policies and it's simple. You cannot consume without producing, right. Let's say, for example, we're in an island and I need to eat fish. I need to go to a lake and take the fish away from there. That's me producing something. And production comes from, like, savings, right? That's how an economy thrives. It comes from savings. Sorry, let me just switch off my phone, yeah. It comes from savings. And these mainstream economists, they don't get that. Everything to them is always about like consumption. It's always about, it's always about stimulating aggregate demand. That's what we see with central banks as well, with the cutting of interest rates currently. It's like whenever there's a crisis, it's because there's a lack of demand. We need to make sure that people consume more and more and more and have less savings. And that's catastrophic that will leave people extremely vulnerable to future crises that that these central banks cause themselves and perhaps even governments right now with the whole lockdown around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of negatives with holding fiat because it's based off consumption, 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 yeah. and le- less savings and savings, savings.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, two questions here. One, you know, in the course of your education, right? Like in your school, when you're interacting with professors, do you have these sort of um, discussions or debates with them? Cause I presume that not probably very few are Bitcoiners probably nice. uh, like not probably less than half are hard money economists. So like yeah. what, 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 what's the nature of your interaction with your, your professors around, you know, this subject and the current state of affairs.
1: Yeah, well, I tried. It happened once when I tried to engage with a, a lecturer regarding um, Bitcoin. And that that particular lecturer brought it up in class. She basically stated that, uh, oh, dang it, I just gave away her gender. I, don't, I wanted to make her anonymous. <laughs> anyway.
0: I think she'll be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, she said that Bitcoin cannot be... Uh, a stable what do you say bitcoin cannot be money because it's unstable whereas if you look at um currencies right. such as the rand the dollar the british pound they're stable because they have a central bank behind them mm. and so i raised up my hand i was like but zimbabwe had a central bank behind that behind them look at what happened to their currency and it was uh, that was not well received <laughs> And so, Uh since that day, (laughs) get out, Peggy. Get out of here. (laughs) Yeah, get out. (laughs) Get out. And uh, since that day, I just like try not to like start that conversation unless they want to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, like when I look at them, right? Or when they teach us this theory, and it's mostly Keynesian theory. There's a lot of contradictions with Keynesian theory. Like, why does everything need to be expensive? They cannot explain that, right? I thought it's good that things become cheaper, right? Because Keynesians are always obsessed about raising demand through the form of more spending by governments uh, or the printing of money and lowering of interest rates. And that results in things becoming more expensive. And they say, no, that's needed for there to be economic growth. And that's a contradiction in itself, because if you define what economic growth is, it's the increase in production. It's the increase in the in the quantity of goods and services. So that makes things cheaper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I try not to engage my lectures with that, because at first it's frustrating. Because when you come up to them and you try to have like a conversation about that, bear in mind that these people have been studying this theory for years. And you come up and you're like a young guy here talking about like, like trying to explain to them that they're contradicting themselves. It's not going to be well-received. So I just shut up and just read my, (laughs) I just buy Bitcoin and read what I think is educational to me. Right. And I just continue with my life. Just pass the
0: test, stack your sacks, <laughs> and don't, exactly. don't yeah. <laughs> <wearing> the feathers.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm happy with that. I'll keep quiet, pass the test, I'll write your Keynesian theory, it's fine. I'll write your Keynesian. And in my spare time, I'll read, like, Mises and stuff. And I'll buy Bitcoin later
0: that day. So, I'm good. <laughs> 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 yeah, man, it's it's wild. Like, I've I've had a, a number of conversations with, you know, pretty well-known and, and pretty high-level um people that you know are in the free banking and gold uh, you know camp or just in the standard economics camp and it's pretty and like you said they've spent their whole career on this and it's extreme yeah. and they you know their views is what got them their tenure at their university or their think tank job or their consulting gig or whatever it's almost impossible that they're going to turn on a dime and be like you know what I've been wrong for the last 30 years, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and now I'm, I'm going to go down this road. Um, but even so, like some these arguments that you mentioned, like the the price stability come up so often and people just, there's so many counter arguments to that argument, whether you want to take it in, in the form of like a new uh, money being monetized. And of course, as that as it becomes distributed, there's going to be a lot of price volatility until it's in the hands of like the vast majority of people. People tend to think like supply elasticity is, is really good. And I, and I think, and you know, the gold bugs would be like, Oh my God, fiat currency is horrible, 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 horrible Uh because the supply can be, you know, is too elastic i guess but too 2% elastic, yeah. 2% elasticity that's a nice that's a nice level of elasticity you know for solid prices and stuff and they they just don't understand yeah. the relationship of the hard money and the price signal and the kind of mm. the importance of the price signal and what an inelastic money ultimately allows a money to do kind of as a measure of value you know, right. having, that, having that supply elasticity perverts that. And, you know, obviously that's that's maybe a bit harder to see in the context of a money that's just emerging. And and to be fair, there's not a lot of context for this, right? Like we haven't, nobody alive today was around when gold monetized. Now, presumably, like yeah. whether that was, you know, two, three thousand years ago with coinage, but mm. probably further back when gold became a, you know, like a, a unit of money of some kind. Yeah, I
1: mean, strange, yeah.
0: um, and, you know what was it like then where people, you know, it must've been pretty volatile when, when it just started happening. And right. so we, we don't, and, and th- that was the last time it really happened, you know? Right. So nobody alive today has any context for like an actual new form of upgraded money, uh, distributing itself throughout the world. I mean, it's a very unique circumstance, so I can kind yeah. of appreciate that people can't, can't see it for what it is, but you know, this it is, it's both disheartening, and I'm super optimistic that a lot of these like old economist types don't get it because you know it, it means more for us, and the future is going to be um, yeah, it's going to exactly. be built by better minds, you know, for lack of a better term.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Um, and I think part, uh, like the future is so uncertain, um, and I think they they're searching for safety, really, and their safety is like the years of Basically studying like Keynesian economics, um, I'm not particularly sure why, for example, questions hasn't started to like bubble up in their minds. Because when I was introduced to Keynesian economics, I would ask questions all the time, like why, how do these individuals at a central bank know what's the correct interest rates for the market, Well, how do they know that this is the correct money supply for the economy? Right and these are answers these are questions that were never answered and like another question that asks is like what causes business cycles and in university they don't tell you what causes business cycles it's they don't tell you even though if you look at the context of it like if you research john may at keynes he would say like it's animal spirits in universities it just happens they don't tell you what keynesian said himself saying like it's animal spirits so I don't know why um, people that are in university studying economics right now spending a lot of money on like on this um, on Keynesian economics don't start asking questions like simple questions. I mean, doesn't even have to be complicated questions. Like just simple questions, and you'll see like the absurdity of like of it all. Honestly.
0: Yeah, but you know what, man? I think part of the answer to that question, uh, as sad as it may be, is that most people just don't care. They're not in university to learn. They're in university Uh, to get credentialed, to pass the test that they need to test, to get the job that they want to get, to have the life that they want to have, to have the status that they want to have. Like, and I know that sounds, you know, really kind of, you know, critical and it is, but you know, my experience, I went to university too, like people aren't seeking truth. They're just seeking validation and enough validation to get them the lifestyle and the future that they want. And they've been conditioned to understand that if I pass these tests, I will get this job. I will get this money. I will have this house. I will have this car. I will have this future. That's what I want. Why the fuck would I question any of this stuff? I don't care about the truth. I care about what I want and this is the way to get it. Ah, I
1: see. Ah, I see. I think that makes sense. Um,
0: for most people, I mean, I, for know, most I,
1: people, yeah. Like, there's always those outliers. Um, but I see, I, I, that's I, think us, I see that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <We're>, <laughs> <Yeah. really outliers. laughs> You know, yeah, so, so and some people just look at look at things, and you know, they try to understand them, and they they put it through their own mental framework. And if things don't add up, then they go, "Why doesn't it add up? Like, it's not making sense to me." And I, I think a lot of people are just afraid to say, "This doesn't make sense to me," so they. They figure out a way to make the thing that doesn't make sense, makes sense. make sense. Makes sense. You know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Peggy, um, what's? Yeah. Let me know because I don't know much about. Um, one of my best friends is actually from uh, South Africa, and he's living there now. But I don't yeah. know much about uh, what's going on there economically or in relation to how Bitcoin is perceived and spreading and what kind of like a Bitcoin ecosystem exists there. Can you just Mm -hmm. like, give me a a rundown of what things are like there now?
1: Well, currently right now, just like any other country or most countries, we are under lockdown and we've been under lockdown for like two months now. Now, there's a lot of fear from like South Africans. Uh, and I think that's why at the start of the lockdown, a lot of South Africans sort of welcomed the lockdown, right? Because they saw it as a way in which the South African government was taking action. And then when once it started getting extended, that's when a lot of people started to change their perspective because they started seeing that a lot of people now are losing jobs. A lot of people are not earning an in income anymore. And we started seeing a lot of ridiculous regulations from government, right? We started seeing, for example, the banning of alcohol and like cigarettes. We started seeing uh, the definition of what's essential and non-essential. Basically, if you were a nurse, you could go to work. But then if you were like someone who works, let's say, for example, at at a mechanic, you couldn't go to work. So those individuals, their income was completely slashed. Mm-hmm. So that's when the perspective of the lockdown started to change. So I suspect that things will get a lot worse or the damage that's been done, we'll start, will start to see that after the lockdown. And a lot of people will be quite angry against like the government. I mean, flip, I think they, they even banned e-commerce, imagine, like they banned e-commerce because they deemed it, it was unfair that's what the trade minister stated and this basically when this all of this commotion with the lockdown thing and the ridiculous regulations from government has basically affirmed my um perspective of government stating that these these people do not know how to run an economy they do not know themselves they they're just messing it up and and it looks like they're making up stuff as they go honestly of course um, they are yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, if we would look at the stimulus packages that was uh, introduced, it was, uh, they stated that it was like 500 million. But if you take into the numbers, it's not really that much. But even so, that's adding to our debt levels, right? That's That means that they will need to increase taxes. Meaning an extraction, an extraction of wealth from South African citizens, mm-hmm. or print money, which they have uh, spoken about numerous times. I mean, we had the deputy minister here stating that uh, he would like the central bank, the South African Reserve Bank, to print money and buy government bonds, so that the government has funds to spend on various things that they want. Now. Uh, now this is an extraction of wealth and it's something that I've also seen as well from around the world. Even the U.S. when they saw this, uh, uh, them signing the two trillion stimulus package, I saw that as like the biggest extraction of wealth and they were saying it's the biggest stimulus they had that they've ever signed and such. Mm. So yeah, so things are not particularly good in terms of like economy. Um. Yeah, so yeah, that's. I hope I painted a good picture there, man.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, look, I don't think, even if governments and government, you know, people in government are well intentioned, you can't possibly run economies of the size that exists in the world today as a centralized entity. You can never aggregate enough information. And not to mention, even if you could, which again, I don't think you can, but if you could, Like, what are we striving for here? So many people here in Canada, you know, I talk to my friends and stuff. People have their opinions about the virus and this and that. And, you know, some people like being, working from home now. And obviously some people have lost their jobs. They're not happy about it. But like almost, I can't think of anybody I've heard make the case that the government shouldn't have this level of power in the first place to be right, able to shut shouldn't. down everything. And to say, they should know you can't it's... make a living for yourself. Like nobody, right. nobody's even talking about that.
1: That, yeah, like it's crazy, man. That is something that they, they, they should not have that power. They should not have the power to tell someone that they cannot go to work. Yeah. And like you also touched on something, another thing that was important that you talked about like this lockdown, this lockdown affects people differently. I can work. I can work. I, I, I can normally work myself, but like a low income earning South African, let's say that works in construction. Yeah. He's not getting an income now. Yeah. Like what happens to that guy? Those people are not like considered, right? And so it's this inability of government to see unintended
0: consequences that causes havoc. Mm-hmm. In the even in the context of an extremely fragile system that they have created. So you put those right. two things together, not being able to see consequences and a super fragile system, you're going to get massive problems. And you know, you mentioned the the taxation the debt that ultimately has to come in the form of taxation, whether it's direct or via inflation. That's another mm. thing, you know, people in, in this country, in Canada, uh, like the political dialogue was heated last year because the current government was running a $25 billion deficit. And that was one of the larger ones that, that have been, you know, in a long time. And, you know, it was this big subject of debate. The projected deficit this year is $250 billion. That's a 10X. Oh. And... And people hear that and they just don't seem to have a framework for what th- that actually means. Oh, that man. means that at some point by hook or by crook, by inflation or by <laughs> direct taxation, you are going to be paying 10 X the cost because the government right. gets its money from you one yeah. way or the other, you know? Yeah. It's not their money. It's your money. <laughs> yeah. And so if they spend 10 times, that means you yeah, pay 10 you times. Pay
1: 10 times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh but I do suspect that things may start to change here in South Africa. Um, a lot of people are starting to distrust the this, this South African government. right? Yeah. In the last elections, a, a lot more people didn't vote than the people that voted. So I think what's happening right now is that I think South Africans are waiting for something better than the current uh, ANC government, which is the current government ruling uh, South Africa. Mm. So I think things are are starting to change. I think seeing certain things change where people are fed up. uh, They do not agree with the way that uh, the government's running the country right now. And a lot of people don't actually see this, mainly because um, they do not see, for example, what the low-income South African is going through. They do not see that. Yeah like I'm comfortable where I am working from home, but it's like what I said, like that person that lost their job. And the thing about South Africa is that a lot of people are dependent on people that are earning, right? So let's say you have a household, right? And you have one individual in that household working.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, suddenly if that, and the, the family here is dependent on that person working. If he get an income, then they get food and all that stuff. Now, if he has lost an income, Due to the lockdown, which some of the some of these individuals have have lost their jobs and such, now that whole family does not get like uh, 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 an
0: income to rely on. Yeah, that's dangerous. Totally, that's, man. Yeah, and and the way the government works is that, and this paradigm that, frankly, a lot of the population feeds into. If there's a problem, everyone looks to the government and says, "Hey, uh, do something about it." And they don't realize that that creates more problems and when more problems emerge and people go to the government and say hey do something about it their actions make sure that more and worse problems will happen down the road in this virtuous cycle that just ends in disaster and nobody can yeah. see it and and the other thing is like we talk about in this space a lot like man things are probably going to get really bad but for right. those for those people that you refer to and they exist in america and canada and south africa and every country of the world things have been really bad for a lot of people for a while already. Like people have had no jobs. People have had no income. People have been on food stamps, have been in poverty, homeless, all that kind of stuff. So like, it's not like we're waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for it to happen to more people. And once it happens to more people, like there'll be a, you know, a threshold at some point where more people is most people. And then you get, Uh, Again, like you said, unintended consequences. I mean, look what's happened in the states right now. I know it was set off by you know police brutality, but you know a lot of people are just very frustrated. They have nothing to lose. They're angry. All these things. And Mm. what Mm. do people do in that situation? Well, they do unpredictable, nonsensical things sometimes, and that doesn't serve anybody. But you can be damn sure, yeah, yeah. But the cause is 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 perversion of uh, free markets based on government intervention i mean it all comes back to that and the lever that they do that through is the money and that is why we're so adamant that we need to fix the money right
1: right yeah um and i think when south africa went to lockdown we were in a much vulnerable state than other countries because of the whole intervention that governments were imposing Um, So the South African government has various state-owned enterprises, right? And they were constantly getting bailouts, right? And through the regulation, I think South Africa is a, well, the ANC government, right? I would define the ANC government as a socialist government, right? But they're not a socialist government in the sense that they own the means of production. They're a socialist government in the sense that they regulate the means of production to themselves. So it's like regulation, social in other words interventionism mm-hmm. so it's all of these years of interventionism that has basically led to south africans having south africa and having high unemployment rates and all that stuff and when we went into the lockdown that has merely accelerated that that uh, trend right mm-hmm. i think we're going to see a lot more people going into poverty unfortunately and A lot of like the mainstream news outlets are not really seeing this, even here in South Africa, not seeing the consequences of the lockdown. Mm -hmm. When it started, or before South Africa went into the lockdown, we a lot of media journalists and all that were calling for the lockdown, um, because they couldn't see like (laughs) they couldn't see that they couldn't see the unintended consequences, they couldn't see the trade-offs, right? And I hope now that they will be able to see that, no, we shouldn't have done this in the first place and it should never happen that a government should have this much power yeah, at all. We even have a, a curfew, man. Like we can't go out at a particular point in time. That's crazy. It is. That's insane.
0: It is. I, I saw a funny meme. <clears throat> it was the founding fathers in the U S in the whatever building they were when they were signing like the, Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or, you know, one of those founding documents. And it was, it was funny because, you know, it's like freedom of association, freedom right. of speech, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then at the bottom was like, just so we're clear, none of this applies if there's a virus, right? <laughs> 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 but it's true, right? It's like it's uh, so it's so counter to what um, at least that country, the principles that it was founded on, and 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 the U.S. At, at least has a document that people can refer to and say, like, aren't we supposed to be doing like what this thing says? Most countries right. don't even have that, so the governments aren't even really limited by like some supposed uh, you know restriction on their behavior. You know, it's just like right. we, we hope they don't act. We we hope they don't restrict our freedoms too much. But you know, as I've, you know, been saying throughout all this, it makes you this lockdown makes you realize you don't have freedom. But you don't have rights. What you have are permissions. Right? So any yeah. anytime you're in a dynamic where someone can overcome the defenses that you deploy to ensure your freedom. Anytime you're in a situation where someone can overcome your defenses of establishing your own freedom, then what you have is permissions. And those permissions are at the mercy of the people that have power over you. And if they want to take them away, there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it.
1: Yeah. And that's why I value Bitcoin because it's a choice. It's an exit door from all of that nonsense, man. Um, it basically allows me to make sure that I take away all of that political uh, influence and all of the central bank influence out of the equation of my money. That's why I am into Bitcoin and that's why I value it so much. And to talk about another point, which I think is also interesting, which links up to government interventionism is that um, for about a few years now, the South African government was trying to pass a bill which would change the constitution of South Africa and allow expropriation without compensation, right? It also goes to that whole thing of uh, South African government is really like a socialist government in, in the sense that they want to undermine property rights in South Africa, right? Mm-hmm. So if, for example, I own a house, right? If this bill was passed, and I think they're still going to follow it up after this lockdown, just, if this bill was passed, then the South African government could just take my home and that's it. No freedom there. It's gone. Whereas they cannot do that with my Bitcoin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If they don't have my private key, they can fuck off. <laughs> Sorry for the swearing <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, like that's the thing that I like about Bitcoin. Yes, it's about like self responsibility. And I think that's also important, but it's about taking all of that influence away from the equation. And that's, that's my key takeaway
0: as well from Bitcoin. A hundred percent, man. I mean, it just, it enhances your ability to defend your property, right? By, right? by by storing it in a method that's one, you know, extremely cost effective to defend, but extremely difficult to, to overcome those defenses. Like, yes, you could still be, someone puts a gun to your head and says, give me your private key, then you might have to think about it. But I love the way that it changes the dynamic and the costs of initiating violence. Because, you know, throughout human history, the things that were the most valuable were like, let's take gold. It's such concentrated value Uh,
1: that every uh, country,
0: every kingdom, every civilization, you know, put it in this safe place and guarded it. But there's an incentive by that tribe over there, by that country over there. (laughs) If they think they're more powerful than you, they'll just ride up on you and be like, yo, uh, we're going to kill everybody if you don't give us that gold. And they'll be like, "Okay, here you go you know or or they'll just take kill it and take it right there's an incentive to use violence but now where something your your kind of acquisition of this extremely va- concentrated value cannot be insured by violence violence can still like you know be a part of it but it's it it way changes the dynamic because it doesn't guarantee that you can take take it just because you've deployed violence whereas in the past that has been the case and you know I'm extremely excited for what that means for a more peaceful world in the future that is predicated on storing more and more and more value in Bitcoin. Right, I 100% agree
1: with you there, man. Um, it's definitely about non-violence. Yeah. Um, mainly because, because big governments is always violence. It's always violence, big governments.
0: Yeah, I mean, I that, mean that's how if... they enforce, that's how they enforce their existence, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was this individual here in South Africa because alcohol was banned, here, But he was drinking it in his property, in his yard, right? So these soldiers, right? The soldiers are guarding the streets during a lockdown, not supposed to be out at a particular time, not supposed to be drinking alcohol or smoking a cigarette. So this South African chap, uh, and let me not call him a chap, um, sorry about that. Um, This South African uh, individual, he was drinking alcohol in his yard, right? And the soldiers saw him drink alcohol, went into his yard and beat him up. And he died from that, so that's the problem with like big governments. They always enforce with violence. Yeah. Always the case.
0: Well, like if you've read, you know, Rothbard and these people, like, why does the state exist at all? It exists to to
1: intervene know, <laughs> in
0: methods that's counter to what the mar- the free market wants to do, right? And so right. the only only way you can do that is ultimately through force like you may have some uh, preliminary measures to try to avoid that but the buck stops at force and that's why the you know governments have to have a, mon- a monopoly on on force and power yeah yeah and
1: it's extremely sad honestly because a lot of individuals suffer
0: yeah. the consequences and not them well, man, I, uh, I want to finish on a positive note. <laughs> yes, so,
1: please, so, <laughs> please so tell me like
0: this was, I kind of started asking this a second ago, but we didn't really touch on it, but, um, characterize for me, you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem in South Africa, you know, oh, like yes. what's going on, yes. the businesses, the people, the, the interest, all that kind of stuff. Tell me, tell me what's going on. Yeah.
1: So there's, I'd, I'd say there's definitely a lot of interest of ordinary South Africans in like um, Bitcoin. Um, I see this with mainly LUNO. Um, I think LUNO is an exchange here in South Africa, it's a, it's a popular exchange here in South Africa. A lot of people are starting to acquire Bitcoin by using LUNO or other exchanges such as IceCube, which is another Bitcoin exchange or crypto exchange. Um, even in an institutional level. Uh, there is uh, a bank, a private bank in South Africa called Investec, that is interested in uh, in Bitcoin. I'm not particularly sure uh, what they're going to do in the future. They haven't announced it fully, so I think that's something that I'm, i actually should watch out for as well, because there's something that might happen with them as well. Um, but yeah definitely a lot of south africans are seeing that it's getting more expensive for them to go about their daily lives right living now is more expensive than it was 10 years ago um this could be due to like the printing of money by the sarb or it could be that the rand is depreciating compared to other currencies and so when we import stuff because we need to import for certain goods everything else becomes more expensive so, I think there's a bubbling up of questions on like ordinary South Africans as to okay, I need to store my value. And it's clear to me that I cannot store it in the RAND because of political influence, because of um, other factors as well. So, it's, I think that that question will eventually lead them on to Bitcoin,
0: uh, something like Bitcoin, yeah, basically. And so, you know, I know you're going into a job uh, at the think tank when you're done school, but do you have any aspirations or plans to kind of be a part of that educational process for people? Or are you just going to operate under the radar and, and do your thing?
1: Um, Man, I honestly do want to like educate people on like book and stuff, but I don't know if I have that much of attraction. Honestly. Dude, is there <laughs> I mean, any like,
0: <laughs> sorry, are, I'll continue. I was just going to ask, are there any like, like podcasts based in South Africa for Bitcoin or anything like that. I think there's this
1: one individual called Lewis Neal. Um, he, I've been talking to him, and he wanted to start a podcast. But there, but there is, there is, there is, there is. Um, there's another platform called Cliff Central, and there's this guy that talks about Bitcoin as well. Um, so there is one or two, but not many that I'm aware of. Uh, but most of them come from like
0: overseas and stuff. Yeah. And what do you mean traction? What, what do you mean?
1: Man, I don't know, man. Like, I just feel like, how can I say this? I don't know. I, I, I sometimes think that I cannot explain things well enough that a lot of people would be, like, interested in listening to me. There's a lot of, like, smart guys out there that I'd be more than willing to, like, to tell someone new to Bitcoin, like, you should listen to this guy. Well, here's a, a reading page from Jameson Love that you should follow and all that. Um, yeah, I, I do not honestly see myself as like an educator or something, <laughs> bro.
0: Bro, so first of all, me neither, right? I never thought yeah. about myself as an educator. All I wanted to do was have these conversations with with like-minded people around Bitcoin. Right. But look, the thing is, it's like there's no one source or one method of disseminating information about stuff. Like the yeah. the method and style of delivery and the angle you use and the doorway you go through is gonna to be totally different for like a farmer in China than it is for a banker in New York. So like we mm-hmm. all come from this from different perspectives and that is our value, that we have a pers- our own perspective and that that perspective will resonate with some people, whether they be in our immediate environment or halfway around the world, right? right. And also, you don't have to know everything from day one. Like I don't, I, there's so much about Bitcoin, I don't know. There's so much about yeah. economics, I don't know. I'm humbled by it every single day. But right. like the best way to learn is to actually Good put day. yourself out there and try to articulate it. And then, you know, maybe embarrass yourself sometimes, maybe say the wrong thing. Maybe have someone on Twitter be like, yo, you're a fucking idiot. You don't you don't know anything about this <laughs> shit. And then be like, OK, all right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to get better. I'll listen. And then you get better and you get better and you, you keep doing it. And as far as audience is concerned, like what if you just impacted one person? That would be awesome. That'd like what awesome. if, what if you yeah. convince one person to to put a, a portion of their savings in bitcoin and and that you know m- enhance their quality of life 10 years from now like that would be great yeah and if it's gross. 100 people if it's thousands of people it's a million you know all the better but and i'm not trying i'm not pressuring you into like do a podcast <laughs> or anything but i think a lot of people um Uh, discredit themselves by thinking that their perspective is not as valuable as it is. Like we we all come from unique perspectives and the way we communicate and what we communicate is going to resonate with different people across the board. And so if it's something that you enjoy doing and you're passionate about, then I wouldn't let the, the fear that it's not going to attract a big audience or, or resonate with many people hold you back. If you don't want to do it, that should hold you back because you don't want to be doing something that you don't enjoy. But if it's like, if it's those sort of considerations, I would just say, you know, screw it, screw screw it. Let's do it. Sort of thing. Yeah. I think you have a point there, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you're famous, bro. You no. were in a documentary. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, man. that's true that's um, true thank you so much
0: so i got i, I finished these yeah, off with just get a, to yeah. a really quick uh rapid fire right so it's just i'll say the yeah. word and you tell me the first thing that pops into your head all right okay democracy Sucks. the lightning network uh privacy government too
1: big human rights need to be protected violence Shouldn't happen unless you unless it's for protection and you have a gun and you're protecting Trump. your property. Trump. Oh, uh, lukewarm, half and half. Sometimes hot, sometimes sometimes <laughs> agree with them, sometimes I don't. Lukewarm. <laughs> Ego. I don't have any, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't have any.
0: That's the first thing that comes to mind.
1: <laughs> uh, FOMO. Uh, shouldn't uh, people shouldn't do uh, shouldn't have FOMO uh, when they thinking about savings, wealth, uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, that was the first thing. privacy. Sorry. Privacy. Privacy. What can I say? Okay, CoinJoin, but I haven't done much research on CoinJoin. But CoinJoin, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Nice. Hate speech should not be illegal. Should not be illegal. Yeah, it should not be illegal. Gold. Sound money. Guns. Buy them. (laughs) Revolution. Oh, man. This is a tricky one because it could mean socialist revolution or it could mean free market revolution. So, free market revolution. Socialism. Sucks. Family. Importance. Inequality. Inequality. It depends which one you're talking about. If you're talking about asset price inflation, which causes uh, inequality amongst people that got in early because of the central bank intervention, that sucks. No, it sucks. (laughs) Hell, like heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. Not going there anytime soon. (laughs)
0: Liberty.
1: Important. Protect liberty. Energy. Do not waste it.
0: And Bitcoin uh again sound money beggy <laughs> <laughs> man uh this has been super fun i really appreciate you uh giving me the time is there anything in closing you wanted to say or share or direct people to uh stack stats <laughs> Satoshi. stack stats right
1: yeah stack <laughs> satoshis uh and uh thank you so much for having me on john and uh thank you so much listeners and yeah hopefully um uh, we see more people buying Bitcoin
0: and all of that. What's your Twitter handle? If, if do you want to direct people there.
1: Oh yeah, so my Twitter handle is machlobo, Mahlobo M A H L O B O underscore B H E K I. Um, I'm not currently active on Twitter because my um, my my schedule is kind of hectic, but I'm always free to have conversations with anyone that tries to
0: like have a conversation with me. Just DM me, no reply. Awesome. Well, man, look, I uh, I really appreciate the time again. I uh, look forward to seeing how things progress for you. If you ever want any help with podcasting or anything else, just hit me up. And uh, oh. I look forward to another conversation sometime in the future, man.
1: Thank you so much, man. I look forward to having another conversation and listening to your future episodes. Thank you All for right, having me on. Take care. Cheers. Peace. Take care, peace. <laughs>